if you really examine Jesus, let's say if he were, in, in terms of Jesus' accomplishments, we can sort of list it out in his CV, okay? So first, he started a religion that has the most adherence today. Secondly, he introduced an entire new philosophy, way of thinking that has shaped Western civilization. And there's a quote that goes around saying that Western civilization was essentially shaped by two people, which is Plato and Jesus. Thirdly, he raised 12 disciples that, who were fishermen, knew nothing, and he trained them to become leaders of the early church that propagated his message. And fourthly, he performed miracles, healed people, and died on the cross, which is obviously a big deal in terms of like productivity. Okay, and, that, and this is the crazy part. He did all this in the span of three years. Jesus, we go back to the church, if you look, all the things he accomplished in his life was done in three years. What did you do in three years? For me, I only completed my, I couldn't even complete my degree in three years. I only completed it in 3.5 years. So the question that I want to embark on today is what made Jesus so successful? And I tell you what, our generation loves to study success. In fact, books and countless of books are written about success. Let me give you a few examples. Warren Buffet, one of probably the greatest investors of our time. He has a particular habit, which is that he spends four to six hours each day reading. And this is what he attributes to, to his success in terms of investing. And another one is Steve Jobs, inventor of the iPhone, popular guy. We know that in his life, he was a perfectionist. And that led him to all of his design decisions, especially when it came to the iPhone. So we love studying success. And today, I've got a very interesting take on Jesus. My goal is to study Jesus as if we studied Jesus as a businessman and how we would study all these people today. I want to take the passages, 2,000 years old, but I want to use some new techniques. Okay, I won't say new techniques. Modern day questions in terms of how did he organize his life and really to get into the psyche of how Jesus worked. And essentially, most modern success stories, people sort of deconstruct it in a few ways. And I'm going to share this model. So you can think of success as this triangle. First, what the people do in terms of habits. So Warren Fay, habit, reading four to six hours a day. Not only that, mindset. So famous example, Steve Jobs. Third, decisions. So another modern day example is Jeff Bezos. So Jeff Bezos, when he started Amazon, he, he used what he called the regret minimization framework. Okay? And the framework was this. What decision must I make now so that in later, I don't regret my life? And so people, yeah, people basically, these are the three main ways. Habit, decisions, and mindset. And all these three are interconnected. Your mindset affects your habits, your mindset affects your decisions, your decisions affect your habits, your decisions affect your mindsets. And this really is the triangle of quote-unquote success. And I'm going to use this triangle to look at Jesus and really see what does he do differently and what can we learn from him. And I think the insights today is quite interesting, okay? So we're going to start off. Okay, I need, okay before I start off, I need to give some caveats. Because we are studying Jesus today, and I really want to do a good job of this, there is not a lot of personal stories I'll share, okay? So all the personal stories and all the things later, during the Q&A, 
we can ask and I can share a bit from my life, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is that we're going to go through a lot of passages. And when I say a lot of passages, I got slides and slides uh, of verses. And I would like to invite you to also open your Bibles with me. So uh, my recommendation, right, is instead of using the ESV version, we're going to use the CEV version on your Bibles, okay? And so what happens is as I go through the passages, you can read it yourself, okay? And thirdly, uh, thirdly, okay, what I want to do is also that one of the last things we want to do in terms of this is really to dive deep. And so for me, how I prepared for this message is I went through the Gospel, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read all of them essentially twice. So my goal is to sort of systematically analyze how Jesus functioned, his habits, his decisions, and his mindset, and sort of paint a picture for you guys so you guys can have a strong understanding of how Jesus lived. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you God for today. I thank you God for just giving us your word and really showing what you want us to follow in Jesus. I thank you, God, for the people who have written about Jesus. I pray that as I convey Jesus to these people, I pray that you give me the strength and really, oh God, the ability to convey it accurately. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to start. What were Jesus' habits? There's this particular series I like on YouTube. It's Vanity Fair and it's called A Day in a Life. And basically, all this series takes an example of a celebrity and ask them, what do you do in a day? And you have various people. They interviewed John Cena, Vanessa Hudgens, uh, Mark Cuban, successful people from all different walks of life. And my favorite, I think, is Mark Wahlberg. So I don't know if you guys know. He apparently wakes up at 3.30 a.m. every morning. It's like, that's crazy, okay? So imagine if, let's say, Jesus were to do, be interviewed by Vanity Fair and we get a day in the life of Jesus. What do we actually get? So we actually have stories and passages that talks about the daily life of Jesus. I want to introduce you to Mark chapter 1, 21 to 34. Now, the book of Mark is a fascinating book because uh, the author used a lot of them immediately. So immediately this happened, immediately that happened. And we can take from that and construct an example of a day of Jesus. And this particular passage I think is interesting is because this is the first known day that Jesus do in his ministry. This was he jumping in, he just called his disciples and straight went into ministry. So you can go to the passage right now, Mark 1, 21 to 34. So it tells us that this day was on the Sabbath. Morning, he went teaching at the synagogue. So he taught at the synagogue. Then immediately after that, there was an unclean spirit that came out and said, oh, this is the, who, who is... Say, claiming that this is the Son of God. Then Jesus asked him to shut up and cast out the unclean spirit. Immediately after that, he goes to visit Andrew and Simon's house. And then the mother-in-law was sick. So Jesus raised and healed her. During that evening, the day is not done yet, he had healing service for the whole city. So he would tell us that, and this is the approximate at evening because in the Sabbath, what happens is they cannot work in the day. So only at the night, it's considered the next day. So they'll bring the people over. So Evening, there's a whole healing service, and Jesus was said to heal and cast out demons. Okay, so this is up until nighttime, and we do not know when. This is his first day, and in this first day, he taught, he cast out demons, had healing service, interacted with his disciples in one on one setting, and that's his first day. And we can infer from what he did that his day probably ended quite late. He's the person who cast out the demons, so amongst all his disciples, he would be the last person to go to sleep, I would infer, okay? But then, 
we find this passage, which is the end of the day, okay? The next day, and, very, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desert place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, saying, everyone is looking for you. Now, interesting where they use the term everyone. It's not like one disciple. It's like literally the 12 disciples just covering the land. Oh, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? So Jesus must have woken up really early to pray. And then he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So going back really to the schedule of Jesus, right? You go back really to the schedule of Jesus, and this is the first day. And I think Mark here was trying to paint an example of how Jesus conducted his ministry on a day-to-day basis. This is how it looks like. He's going to do things. He's going to cast out demons. He's going to have one-to-one session. He's going to disciple the people. He's going to preach at the synagogue. Then he goes to a desolate place and pray, gets direction from God, and okay, then tells the disciples, guys, we're going out to the next town. And then he just follows. We also got an example of another day. So Mark 6, 30, verse to 52. And we're going to see in this passage how much Jesus emphasized his withdrawal time from prayer. So to give a bit of context, prior to this, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles and to preach all around uh, Judea, okay? So the apostles came back and they were telling Jesus, wow, Jesus, we saw this. We saw that people and spirits would listen to your name and the demons were casted out. And then we have a picture. So Jesus tells them, hey guys, you know, it's been a long day. Why not you come with me and rest? So Jesus and the disciples were trying to find a place to rest together. So this is Mark 6, uh, verse 32, okay? So as they were trying to find a place to rest, the citizens noticed that Jesus was on a boat and Jesus was going somewhere. So all the citizens from the towns would run and go to the place that Jesus was visiting. So they would navigate there. And when Jesus landed on that place, uh, there were crowds of people waiting for him. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus had great compassion, so he taught them. Now, Jesus wanted to go to a desolate place to pray already. He wanted to seek God. Uh, But then, because of the people, he had great compassion, so he decided to serve them. And so what happens is he continued to teach them, and then it was getting late. So what does late mean? Evening time. There was no bread. So Jesus then does a miracle. He feeds the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish, feeds the 5,000. And then it's evening now. It's late. Everybody should leave. He gets everybody to leave, and even the disciple to leave. Get them to go on a boat. And then Mark says something really interesting. He says, he went up to the mountain and prayed. And then, if you read the passage, on the fourth watch, Jesus appears to disciples on the boat. And the fourth watch is approximately 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So from this passage, we can infer that even though Jesus was tired, he's exhausted, right? And after he's doing ministry, he still would pray into the middle of the night to go seek God, the Father. And you find this particular passage in Luke 5, 15 to 16. That sort of encapsulates what he does. But now, even the report about him went abroad. The great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So as the load that he has to do increases drastically, so his time with God also is protected and he still constantly sought the Lord. And in fact, if you really look at Jesus' lifestyle, there was only two things that he was doing. He was either out with his people doing ministry or only, and the other part, 
was that he was only spending time with God. These are the two patterns. There's nothing else that sort of Jesus do. And in Luke especially, we find that the author records the prayer life of Jesus and such a rich prayer life, so much so that compared to the rest of the Bible prophets, we get an insight to Jesus that we really do not have compared to other people. And idea of Jesus where Jesus is so dependent on the Father that even He is God and He is God, He can do all these things on His own accord, but we see that He's so emphasized meeting up and seeking the Father everywhere He goes. So that's habits. Let's take the second part, decisions. How did Jesus make decisions? Okay, we find an interesting pattern also. Every time that Jesus was making a key decision, or a pivotal moment in his ministry, Jesus was in prayer. The passages here you can refer to are Luke 4, 1 to 13, Luke 6, 12 to 16, and Matthew 26, 36 to 56. So temptation of Jesus, before he started his ministry, what did he do? He fasted 40 days and 40 nights to seek the Lord, and then only the devil came to tempt him. Second one, when selecting the 12 disciples, the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed all night to seek God and then only the next day, he selected the 12 disciples. And before his crucifixion, he also then prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, whereby he saw the Lord and asked God, God, let your will be done and not mine. And so we see an interesting picture in terms of how Jesus conducted his life in terms of making decisions. And one of the, another thing that we can get into, maybe perhaps in the Q&A, is that Jesus was so certain about some of the timing in order for him to do things. So for example, in John 1, when he, okay, John 2, where he did the miracle at wedding of Cana. So there was no wine in the wedding feast. Then the mom came to him and said, uh, Jesus, why not you turn this into wine? And then Jesus said, woman, yeah, woman, my time has not come yet. And if you track how Jesus used the word time, Jesus had a specific view of the time that he was supposed to act and the time that he was uh, supposed to not act. So if you read John especially, it's like, there's a time, there's a time for everything. So I will go this more in the Q&A if possible, but it seems, right, as we study Jesus, right, that Jesus' way he navigated ministry was that he sought the Father, sort of like a briefing. He would go to the Father, get wisdom of when to act, when to move, and then only in the instruction of the Father, he would then go. And if the Father had not called him to do so, he would not do so. And this is a pattern you see throughout his entire ministry. So we covered two things. We covered his habit. What do you do? Every time we find that as the load increase, the desire for him to seek God increase. We see in, even in his decision-making process that every pivotal decision is followed prior with prayer. And then this is the last one. What was Jesus' mindset? And this, I think, is the most interesting uh, because I'm about to embark on a journey to try to psychoanalyze Jesus and to get into sort of Jesus' head to see how he saw the world. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to refer to John and I'm going to throw out a lot of verses and you can refer to them. And you're going to find a very specific theme in John that Jesus' re relationship with the Father was so in communion that you cannot distinguish the both of them. And to critique Jesus is to critique the Father or at least Jesus equated it that way. So we're going to just go through, uh, simply, okay, yeah. So John 5, 30, verse 31. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is yours because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So 
he seeks only God's will and he, only what he does is the will of God. And I like the word seek because seek is active, meaning God was, Jesus was seeking him, okay? Not only that, John 8, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know that I am he, but that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as just the Father taught me. So again, you see this identity that Jesus is only going to do what God told him to do and nothing more than that. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So you have this inside of Jesus, this side of Jesus whereby he really is one with the Father and anything he do, he does not want to deviate from the Father. Continue. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him I know him. So here's talking to the Pharisees. The people, you know, they say that Jesus is not God. He says, you guys don't know God, I know him, okay? If I were to say to you, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. And this, this relationship that Jesus had with the Father is so rich and just so much depth in terms of how he perceived himself that he's in constant union with the Father. Okay, and there's even more verses that I don't include here. So if you guys got time, John 5, 19 to 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what we, he seeks the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Okay, if you had known me, you would have seen my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen me. So you got just verses after verses, and especially in the book of John, where you have this rich way that he perceives his identity in God. And maybe perhaps to sort of put in terms of how he sees it together, John 10 verse 30, it says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So how does it work out practically? I want to give you this passage, Jesus healing Lazarus. So in this passage, Jesus, Lazarus died. And what happens is Jesus here was deeply moved, Okay. And then, uh, Martha and Mary talked to him and Martha and Mary said, oh, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But Jesus was crying, he was in tears. And then he asked Martha and Mary to bring him to the stone to see uh, Lazarus' tomb. And then he prays this prayer. And I think this prayer is fantastic. And he says this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then he put a bit more ego. He says, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. Meaning, he, the prayer is praying, it's not for he, he and God, it's for all of us to see. You know, talk about the example of Jesus. This is the examples that is, is so rich that they may believe that you sent me. Talk about Jesus' confidence in the Father. He was so confident that everything he say, everything he do, everything he pray, God would hear him. And that was the identity of Jesus. And if I were to put it in summary in terms of what we've covered, the habits, the decisions, and the mindset, and really the mindset informs like the habits and decisions, Jesus exemplifies a perfect relationship with the Father. Jesus exemplifies a perfect relationship with the Father. You know, when I was in my younger years, right, in teens, we always talk about, you know, how's your relationship with God? You know, right? I was like, wow, such a... So I thought like, I grew up with that question. I thought like, wow, you know, that's a good question. But actually, where do you get that question from? Because I thought to myself, you know, if you examine biblically, right? Nobody talks to God in such an intimate manner. But then as I was doing this message, I realized, if you really look at Jesus, 
Jesus has such an intimate relationship with the Father. And if we were to follow Jesus, we also need to follow the footsteps of Jesus and how he is so intimate with the Father. We can think of it like this. Jesus encapsulates what it means to have a perfect relationship with the Father. And we are on a journey to follow likewise Jesus as how he has the relationship with the Father, we also can have the relationship with our Father. Okay, I want to go with some implications. So I've covered huge passages and I want to talk about some of the implications we can have for our lives. First one, Jesus' relationship with the Father is the foundational building block of his ministry and success. There's no doubt about this. As much as the gospel writers recorded what Jesus did in terms of public, they also recorded what Jesus did in terms of his private life. And we only see that he does one thing constantly, which is to seek the Father. Secondly, in Jesus' relationship with the Father, we see that he found rest, direction, wisdom, guidance, and power to carry out his earthly ministries. I can do nothing except what my Father has revealed to me. Thirdly, Jesus did not seek this Father to gain these benefits, but the benefits were the result of him spending time with the Father. So this is interesting. Jesus did not seek the Father primarily to, okay, I need to do ministry well, therefore I need to seek God. So I need, yeah, he did not seek God for that. He sought God due to the delight of him being in perfect communion with the Father. Because he delighted in God so much, he enjoyed the relationship so much, the rest of the benefits just became to, uh, to fall down. Meaning when we seek God, it's not so much to seek God for things to help us bless us in our ministry or so on and so forth. It's first and foremost to seek God for just the pure delight in terms of communion with Him. And we see that in Jesus. That Jesus, out of His busy time, out of the, His schedule, out of all his decisions he makes, we see that even in all of that, he sought the Father in all that he did. And again, he is God. There is no need for him to do this. Yet in setting an example for us, we see what it means to have a personal relationship with him. I want to end with this passage. So I was going just now thinking about how to end. And this passage, I think, uh, is such a rich passage, right, to end on. This is John, high, Jesus' high priestly prayer, okay? Now, we always talk about Bible. We talk about, you know, we need to interpret in this cultural context to the relevant audience. This is the only passage in the Bible where Jesus is praying for you. I do not ask for this also, this meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This here is referring to all Christians in the world. Those who have not seen him, uh, but will have because believe him because of the word said. So in this particular passage, Jesus was with his disciples before he was crucified. And Jesus, this was Jesus' final thoughts and he prayed for the disciples. So the earlier part, he prayed for the disciples and this part, he prayed specifically for you and me. So just now, I was talking about how Jesus and God are essentially are one. I and you are one. I am him, Jesus, and the Father and I are one. I talk about the habits and his mindset of how he perceives his relationship with God. And I want to read this prayer. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, okay? And I in you, meaning I and Jesus with the Father, that they may 
that day, who's this day here? This day here refers to all of us. And it says that they may be also in us. So uh, what is Jesus is doing here? You know, Jesus in John talks about he and the Father are one, right? Now, he looks to all of us, me and you, and he says, you now are in me and us. Here, we got Jesus praying that the same relationship that he has with the Father is now extended to me and to you. In this, and we continue, okay? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, Jesus in us, you in me, that they may be perfectly become one. In his final briefing to the disciples, he tells the disciples and all of us, the rest of us to follow, that the relationship that Jesus has with the Father is not meant to be exclusive now. He now extends the invitation to us. The same delight that we can have, with the, that Jesus had with the Father, the same joy, the perfect communion is now extended to us. And thanks to what Jesus died on the cross and what he paid for, for the price to be united back with God, he now extends the same invitation to us that we can taste the goodness and delight in God. And then this is his final phrase for the prayer. I made known to them to your name and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love which you may have loved me, the same love that God has for Jesus is now extended to us. The richness and goodness of God that Jesus experienced is our inheritance. It is our birth right now and this is what we can experience as Christ. You know, uh, I would like to invite in terms of the Eunice. Okay, yeah. You know, today we cover a lot and I really want to end at this particular spot. Jesus today already has made a special invitation for all of us. To those who do not know Him, we see here that Jesus is inviting us to be in a relationship with Him. That the God and Father is now longer not only just for them, but it's also for all of us. Every head bow, every eyes closed, okay? You know, if you in your life, hey, I want this thing that Jesus has, this intimacy with God, this friendship, this communion that Jesus had with God, I want that in my life. You know, I want you to know that 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 you so eagerly desire could be yours. If you want to experience this communion that Jesus had with the Father, I want you uh, to just close your eyes and pray after me. Father Lord, I thank you God for extending the invitation of the love you have to Jesus to me. I thank you, God, for loving me in the same way that you love Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus enjoyed the relationship with the Father, I thank you, God, that because of what you did on the cross, I can experience that. Now, if you've prayed the prayer, um, you can later approach one of the leaders so that we can disciple and journey with you. But really, I want to take this time in terms of worship just to really bask in the presence of God and really realize 
just how God really has extended His gracious love upon us. Let's sing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be the grace that you've extended to us. That through Jesus, we can get a glimpse in terms of how you want to relate to us. That you are really not far away, that you really are close by, and that we really can taste your love. I pray, oh God, where from all of us, maybe we are in different spots, maybe we feel far, maybe we are in close to you, maybe, you know, we just do not know where you are. I pray, oh God, in the same way that you have just allowed Jesus to experience your love, I pray that we can taste the goodness of your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.